your favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. family and i'm uh, recording this uh, in retrospect because we didn't know we were doing a part two so we'll just go straight i don't know yeah i'm derailing just to complain about yeah, right. my viewing so at the end of the gondola you also have another room that's just full of kind of standard basement things and then you have to you have to pick up a decanter on a table and you swing around in one of those scooby-doo contraptions where the wall swings around and that's how you get into the the vault with the money in it and you can see why Tully was having such a hard time getting the Adams money. I mean, it's really a process. And I like how, you know, their money is like literally a money bin, just aisle after aisle of of old Spanish coins just piled on the floor. They're not even in, in bags. I mean, you know, the Adams definitely gold bugs, you know. <laughs> they're not they're not uh, not a diversified portfolio here. You dive through it like a porpoise and burrow through it like a gopher and toss it up and let it hit them on the head. Or in the Adams case, probably drop it on somebody else's head. <laughs> oh, that's how they were paying the carolers. M- molten gold, Mayan style. You never actually see. Um, you know, you never actually see what's in the cauldron. So, could have been anything. It seemed to be empty. Yeah, it, it, it was. was well, it contained the opening credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been hilarious if you heard the carolers like, "Ah, opening credits." <laughs> Well, if this movie was made today, when they poured the oil, they would, you know, do the thing where they uh, they added in some words afterwards where the carols would be like, I'm all right. Or, you know, and one of the Adams would look down and be like, ooh, that's got to hurt. <laughs> well, they did. They did do these movies recently, so we'll have to see if they do that. Oh, that's right. They did. They, I, I, I'm just being the uh, cranky old man thing where I'm like, man, I can't make, they not be able to make this movie these days. When it's like, they just did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, they certain didn't, certainly didn't make this movie. Well, I'm going to be just be like, well, I guess now the Adams family is woke. They're going to gender swap all the Adams. Cool. A YouTube that. channel where I'm just. Hmm? I said, cool. Yeah, let's do that. Actually, that, interesting. that, that would be to, actually very cool. I'm trying to imagine what that'd be like. Yeah, well, I've they never do seen actually a, have a masculine a... equivalent to Morticia. No, that's true. Um, <laughs> though the the Adams Family Values does have a gender swapped uh, Fester character. Oh, that's right, the dementia. End. Yes, um, but yeah, you, you don't see too many. Well, you know, I guess uh, a, a gender swap would the gender swap Lurch look like Bride of Frankenstein or just like? A lady lurch. Hmm. Oh, now we're asking the tough questions. Uh, yeah. Maybe she wouldn't look like. Maybe she'd look like another Universal monster, but not, but not Frankenstein. Maybe she'd look like the mummy. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. Um. That. Oh. That, yeah, yeah. Okay. That actually, that, that kind of scans. I feel like they'd have you know a maid mummy. <laughs> yeah. She. She's always got uh, something to wipe with. I just imagine, like, uh, a, a gender swap cousin it would be interesting. <laughs> it would be just exactly the same. His name would, her name would be cousin it, but a girl. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so there, but um, unfortunately, I don't think, yeah, no, no one has made the gender swapped Adams yet. <laughs> so this is another great idea that, like, uh, apparently we are giving for free. Yeah, the Eve family. Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. You, you yeah. talked over my brilliant pun. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry that I was interrupting you with, <laughs> and then I worked it out on my own. Yeah. Every episode, it's just like everyone. Like, uh, if anyone makes a good joke, it's like, I'm not. No, 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 no. Let me talk over you first. <laughs> 
that that's my bit on this show. <laughs> okay, so um, let's see. I think I think we're up now to the scene in the uh, in the graveyard. Which... Yeah. Oh, this is where. Yeah, because um, oh, um, Wednesday figures out that uh, at uh, Fester is fake. Yeah, but this is and this is a little crazy. earlier. This is the one with Morticia and Fester. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So there's um, I I thought this is a really good scene. I think it really went kind of ahead as a kid. I thought they were just she was just kind of giving them a tour. Yeah. But, but... it's no, she's showing off. All the atoms, um, the various people in the in the family who have died in various ways, and she tells them that, uh, you know, this is the Adams family. If you in, in, you can destroy us in a hundred ways, and we'll come back stronger. And shows off the uh, the family motto, which is, uh, "We gladly feast on those who would subdue us." And watching it, rewatching it, I I picked up on what's actually happening, which is that she's making a threat to him, or rather, yeah. she's, she's making a conditional threat that. She's not she's not sure that he's a fraud, but she's letting him know that if he is a fraud, then there's going to be consequences because you don't mess with their family. It should be noted that she makes this immediately after finding him deposited outside the house for having pulled the wrong chain. Oh, yeah. They, they kind of slide out of these shoots if you if you pull the wrong thing. Yeah. He shoots their labeled Pugsley and Wednesday. So they're also the children's escape hatches for if anything happens. Because, I mean, I'm sure they know that something's going something's gonna to come up. Yeah, the, the, they're, they feel like the people would, the sort of people who would have to have like a, like a plan in the event of torches and pitchforks. But after this, we have, uh, yeah, this, but that, no, that came before the scene with the, uh, with the school. So, so this was kind of, kind of Gordon slash Fester's face turn as he turns from, uh, you know, I could be, you know, these people are going to kill me to wait a minute. These people are more welcoming to me than my mother has ever been. Now I think so. Um, so later on it's, uh, actually when, when is it that Wednesday figures out that Fester is not real during the dance after the, Okay, it's during the the mamushka, right? Yeah, the the party, I suppose. The yeah, banquet. specifically, um, she she finds it out. Um, I believe it's right after the party when she actually he- hears him confess to his mother. Uh, I yeah, he says that they know that um they know they know I'm a fraud, and she uh and then they immediately see her. They try to catch her. Uh, they like and tie her up or or something i think oh i think uh i think dr Pinderslash had more like murder on the mind i'm not sure why yeah she she was approaching her with a brazier blade so yeah. because she and, was actually shaving yeah. gordon's head as they were having this conversation so uh, she so wednesday escapes into the graveyard and that's when the adams they they go out to they realize that she's missing and they uh they they split up to go look for her but that's all after the party where uh, we meet uh, like Flora and Fauna and some of the other extended Adamses. In fact, we also meet Cousin It. Yes. This is Cousin It. Cousin It shows um, up in that... a single-person, three-wheeled car with MC Hammer blaring on the radio. So that's the first appearance of MC Hammer in this movie. It was 1991. Yes, it was very 1991. And I mean, Hammer was extremely hot at this point. No, you this don't was understand. Pre, like, he was the biggest mm-hmm. celebrity in the world in 1991. He was, they were mm-hmm. advertising Legend of Zelda in Japan with this commercial that had Link and Zelda doing the MC Hammer dance. Oh, wow. <laughs> this wow. is a real thing. <laughs> this was a huge get then to get him uh, in this movie. It really was. And so, yeah, he wasn't in the movie, but they, but he does a lot of the soundtrack. So, and then... You know, later that year, everyone heard uh, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" for the first time, and we were like, "Hammer who?" <laughs> uh, but you know, he did have a he had a brief renaissance with the Hammerman cartoon series. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm sure he invested his money wisely, <laughs> knowing that fame is fleeting and fickle. Yeah, looking back at this and realizing this movie is 30 years old, nobody could be more what the hell happened than Hammer. Well, you know, I'm sure there's. Uh... Well, no, I mean, think about uh, what is it, Carol Stoyven? He was he was flying high as Mister Hom from uh, Star Trek, and then 
Well, actually, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he continued to act after this. Who? I'm sorry. (laughs) Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, Diana Troy's mom has this really tall guy who hangs out with her and carries her luggage. I know who you mean, but I don't, um, I did not know his name. Yeah, he's the guy. He he plays uh, Lurch. Oh, okay. In this. Oh, I did not realize Um, they're the same character. Or same person, right? Not the same character. That'd be weird if they're the same character. kind of, yeah, his thing is like, do you need a really tall guy who doesn't talk? Carol St- Storkin. Oh, I can't. Oh, how do we pronounce his name? Uh, he also plays the really tall manservant who doesn't talk in The Witches of Eastwick and other films, I'm sure. But uh, it's a part he's born to play. He's very good at it. Yep. You know? He could be the same character. We don't know how long Lurch is going to live. <laughs> and that's true. Also, I think Carol Storkin was the only member of the cast that came back for that third movie, Adam's Family Reunion. Yeah. Oh, even, interesting. Um, I wasn't even aware of that one, but uh, if everybody switched out, it probably wasn't very good. No, 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 yeah, nobody from there. I mean, Tim Curry got to play Gomez in that one, so that's probably the highlight of the whole thing. Well, you know, Tim Curry, he's always a joy to watch, but he is also one of those guys who, you know, doesn't practice a lot of dis- discretion in accepting roles. You know, he just it's like, oh, do you, do you got a movie? Yeah, I'll be in it. He's like, um, oh, what's his name? Vincent Price. Uh, Michael Caine. Yeah, or Vincent Price, yes. Vincent you know, Price, who but, um, will act in anything because he's tremendously fond of eating. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, same. I mean, no shade on Tim Curry. I mean, he's, he's always a delight. But it's just, he's a guy who's like, yeah, you got a film? I'll be in it. I'm Tim Curry, you know? And the only other um, person I know who did anything else was that the kid who played Pugsley grew up to be the fedora hat tip guy from the meme. Oh, wow. Now, good for him. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> I mean, uh, wait, that's the, the not, not the Pugsley from the original Adams Family. That's from the Adams Family reunion. Yeah not, yeah, not Jimmy Workman. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, you know, again, good for him. I think. <laughs> so the Adams Family. Yeah. Uh, where they were not the reunion. The. Um, Yes, although this movie one. is kind of a reunion since we get to see Adamses from all over the world and their and their guests, you know, especially cousin It, who makes a beeline for Tully's wife and is, and kind of insinuates himself like, "May I cut in?" And Tully gladly uh, lets her lets her alone so he can talk to Flora and Fauna. Yeah, and get the dirt on uh, the argument between Gomez and Fester, which is when he learns that. Fester is actually the technical owner of the entire property since he's the oldest living relative. Yeah, and then he 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 pretty much heads straight for the judge, I think, at that point. Yeah, yeah. And basically, and well, he is a lawyer, so he understands how the law works. And uh, he's much better at, you know, using uh, legal shenanigans to get what he wants than just outright, you know, petty theft. So, um, but, you know, I'd expect that from a lawyer. The uh, uh, I thought this was interesting because this is, like you said, this is where Cousin It and Tully's wife are kind of becoming yeah, an really item. Yeah, they really hit it off, and, and um, it really shows that even though Tully's wife uh, appears to be such a normie, there are Adam's traits in her. She is eager, you know, once she meets someone that she can really talk to, she's eager to become part of this. Yeah, and we actually, um, yeah. we get to see her again. They, they, um... Brought her back for the second movie, which was kind of neat. Yeah. Not, not a major a character, cameo, but, but yeah, just to kind of where you, you see that she has they, um, she and cousin Ed have had a have had a child. Um, it's named Watt, and it's just it's just <laughs> a little version of cousin Ed. I am imagining that if Watt was a girl, it would be a little version of her whole beehive hairdo. But <laughs> um, the thing about uh, oh God, I can't remember her name. Margaret? Is it Margaret? I, I think. Maybe. Yeah, I can't remember her name. Like, she kind of goes an interesting evolution as a character over this film. Because the first time she's introduced, like, she's, like, yelling at Tully and nagging him to ask the Adams for money. And my immediate thought was, like, oh, she's the real brains of this operation. She's the really evil one. Like, she's the Madame Medusa to Tully's snoops. And then then she kind of just becomes... But then she doesn't. Yeah. She's not part of the scheme at all. Um, and when we see her next, she's kind of annoying, but not, you know, but normie annoying, not like, not like a nag. 
and gradually over the film she becomes more and more yeah sympathetic i think as a so, child i had a really real um, kind of issue like you did with the bat and the snail and the never ending story and that i wasn't sure if abigail and margaret were the same person or not well i'm glad it's not <laughs> yeah just it's me. not just you <laughs> so now i'm never gonna let you forget that <laughs> yeah i Every episode, I'm going to be like, oh, at least I didn't think Mark and Abigail the same person, like some yeah, dumb dumbs. Yeah, two redheaded oh. women for each other. It's like, I'm just, the, I'm, the, I'm just the smarty who confused two completely different, like, species. <laughs> <laughs> two, two completely different, like, phylums. Oh, yeah, I am not exempt. But actually, yeah, they do kind of look similar. And I wasn't wearing glasses uh, yet. Uh, but Margaret and, and... Oh, yeah, all right, fair, fair. But um, yeah, no. Uh, but yeah. So when when um, it leaves, like Margaret's all like, "Oh, I can't. I couldn't." You know. But it's very much implied. Like I guess Tully has not been. He he has not been giving Margaret the yeah. attention that that a, a wife yeah, needs. In the first, you know? um, so maybe the reason that she's just uh, you know so so mean seeming at the beginning is he's just really unhappy, which you probably would be if you were married to Tully. Yeah. I. I especially yeah, like how when yeah. Cousin It drives away, uh, she when she says, no, I can't, we mustn't, he says something to her in her, his little speech, and she looks absolutely scandalized as he drives away. <laughs> I really want to know what he said. <laughs> Not scandalized enough that she doesn't tell him uh-huh, to call her, yeah. though. But yeah. Um, but then when then after this is when Wednesday is hidden in the cemetery... The Adams go look for her. Except for Fester, um, who stays but Gordon behind. Gordon stays yeah. behind. That's right, because someone should stay in the house in case she comes back. Um, and uh, they do find her in a crypt, I think. She's just... And then bring her back, but Fester has locked up the whole house. They've got a restraining order, and the Adams can't come within a thousand feet of the house. Because Fester, Fester owns yeah, it all. and uh, now... They kind of, they seem to sort of forget about the fact that at this point they should know that he's not Fester. In fact, Wednesday even says as much. He says he's not even, yeah. he's not even Uncle Fester. Because, um, but they don't, um, they don't really, they don't really seek to pursue that at all. And they, I guess she doesn't have any, yeah. I guess she doesn't have any proof apart from that she heard them uh, announce it. But, uh, you know, this was before everybody had a video camera in their pocket. That's true. Um, but we do get we do get a fairly um a good scene with uh where we find that might not have mattered because the 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 judge uh declares that Fester owns everything in the house with the exception of one thing uh and then he pulls out the bucket of all the the golf balls that uh I was going to say the golf balls that he hit into the judge's house but they can't be because they were from the Adams house. Yeah, it's yeah, that was it was this cuz that was what uh that was what Gomez said was, keep the ball. I have a whole bucket full. And this is the bucket of balls. Yeah. So the judge and the judge actually, um, yeah, he, he's kind of being crooked, but you kind of feel like um, Gomez kind of deserves this. <laughs> this one little, um, this, this one little zinger, maybe not the enti- everything that's happening to him, but I, I kind of like that the judge got this over on him. Um, this is the last time we see the judge, which um, is also kind of interesting because a lot of films would be like, "Look, we got to show the judge getting like you know his at the end as well." But presumably, I guess he just keeps living next to the Adams when they return. Yeah, and, you know, being annoyed. He keeps by getting golf Gomez. balls hit through his window, so that's that's <laughs> all the comeuppance he gets. I remember yeah. <laughs> watching the uh, watching the creator commentary for the movie UHF, and Weird Al comments that uh, he never liked it that there were so many movies where nothing bad happens to the bad guy. The good guys just get better. So uh, that's why you have at the end where RJ Fletcher gets loses everything. And then an old lady knees him in the crotch. But so this must be what they were, what he was talking about where, you know, the, the judge doesn't get his at the end. You know, I was like, I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to turn. We came for blood. Raise it to the ground. (laughs) That's, that's knowing everything I knew about Weird Al. That seems like a, it just seems odd hearing that from him. It's like I want to see it. I, I want to hear the lamentations of their women. Well, I mean, I, I will never speak ill of Weird Al, but he's a Christian. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll also say this: like it is. I'm. I'm not gonna like 
claim that I'm better and that oh I would never want to see a villain get a response. <laughs> it's like well, because because yeah I'd like to see that too. But um, uh, I mean the villains mostly get their comeuppance in this. Yeah, yeah. You know, the main ones who've been doing. They, stuff. they leave it kind of ambiguous, um, but which, it's good enough. Now we have like a sad scene of the family leaving the home with you know only one suitcase full of belongings each, and Lurch comes with them. I would think that Lurch was not, was Fester's employee now, but I guess he fired him. Well, actually, yeah, he probably um they probably don't want any uh, I mean, I assume they want to be able to speak freely about what they're doing. And yeah, for all they know, for all they know that yeah, Lurch has some way of reporting to the others. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because even though he doesn't talk, it's like. They understand what thing does. They understand what it says. They, you know, very. They might be able to understand these things. These lurches, like you said, grunts, they're polyglots. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this is the start of the the long dark night of the soul for the atoms. Uh, you know, where you have the atoms having to live in the normal world and interact with you know normies a little. I actually kind of was disappointed there wasn't more of this because I thought this would be pretty funny. But um, you know, we're we're towards. We're like three quarters of the way in the movie, so uh, we don't get a whole lot of this. See, Gomez so. uh, just kind of, you know, sits around in an undershirt watching TV. Um, more, yeah, he's watching Sally Jesse, Sally Jesse yeah. Raphael. Yeah, and and it's an actual. Um, I mean, she, she's actually like a character in the movie because she does a she does like a a bit that they clearly filmed for the movie where she's responding to his call in. I don't remember if they actually did call-ins yeah. on I, Sally Jesse, did they? I don't know. I never. I don't think I've ever actually seen it. I just. I just knew who she was from pop cultural stuff. That's more of a Rush Limbaugh thing. Yeah, same. I always thought I wasn't sure, like, because the um, the topic that she's addressing in the Adams Family movie is what, like, witch doctor cults in America, which I don't remember if that was the sort of thing Sally Jesse did. I always got the impression that. She was slightly less. She was yeah. less trashy. That's more of a Geraldo. Not less, or I should say, trashy in a different way. Like I always thought she was more like you know, like oh, sad marriages. Yeah, like, I think. I guess that in the original script, that. it was probably just um, like the character was whichever host we can get, and then Sally Jesse was yeah, the one they could yeah. get. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. I mean, the joke. Is pretty good. This though. is the part where it becomes really clear that this takes place in 1991 and at no other time. Because once again, you yeah. hear yes, you hear MC Hammer blaring from a nearby radio as uh, Pugsley and Wednesday sell lemonade outside of their cheap uh, hotel room that they're staying in. I was going to say that we have them selling lemonade to a Girl Scout, and I believe this Girl Scout is the same one who became a much larger character in the second movie when they brought her back as kind of Wednesday's camp rival. Is it? I think it's the same oh, person. Really? Uh, I mean, I can check on, I can check on. IMDb, yeah. Let me check. But keep, keep talking. About you did it. <laughs> sorry. I, we got, got a little distracted. There, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, this, this bit, uh, I have to say though, it has the most obnoxious product placement of the entire movie. Cause there is a gigantic billboard for uh, like Domino's pizza <laughs> oh, you in the background. It didn't even work. You don't even remember what kind of pizza it is. Oh, was it well, not what Domino's? What else would the Adams family have? It's Tombstone. Oh, all right. Well, I'll give credit that that is slightly. Yeah, they dramatic. might not even have paid um, for it. I mean, it is 1991, and I feel like that sort of thing just happened incidentally a lot more back then. Like people just didn't pay attention to that. Like, um, nowadays, you wouldn't do that unless it was cleared through, like, eight layers of lawyers. <laughs> but it always reminds me of, like, when you watch The Outsiders movie, where one of the characters, like, the, the actor showed up on set wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt, so he's just wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt in the film. And it's like, nowadays, like, yeah, you wouldn't do that. Like, you would you would blur that out, because you don't put Mickey Mouse in and spe- unless you got paid a lot by Disney to do it, you know? Because um, otherwise you get sued, but... So yeah, you're right. It might have just been like a complete coincidence that there was just a that was filmed on the street and there was that <laughs> billboard. But it really is just really well, in your face. Those kind of, so, uh, those kind I don't of, know. Uh, coincidences do happen around that time. I mean, do you remember? This is this is a kind of a deep cut. Do you remember the uh, Mister Show sketch about the guy who had got his own, who actually got sovereignty from uh, the from the United States? And then took a trip to the United States and decided to emigrate there. 
you know, Mr. Show has aged like a fine wine. Yes. I do remember that. That's a yes. brilliant and skit. One of the first things he sees is a Rolls Royce driving by. And that was a complete, that was, <laughs> that was totally coincidental. They did not rent that Rolls Royce. It was just there. Yeah. Wow, really? That works. That works so <laughs> well, though. So somewhere out there, there's like a, there's a, a person who has no idea that they were in Mr. Show. <laughs> I, Just imagine today they're like, you see that Rolls Royce? That was me. That was, that's me. And his friends are like, yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, it turns out there's someone who doesn't know they were in Mr. Well, Show. It turns out it's, it's Bob Odenkirk. He didn't know this entire time. So I looked. Um, I looked it up. It is the same character. Um, she's credited as Girl Scout in Adam's Family and Amanda Buckman in Adam's Family Values. Um, I guess so. So I guess maybe it's not the same character, but I. I mean, she kind of acts the same. Yeah. Is it the same actress? Uh, maybe, actress the yeah. actress is Mercedes McNabb. It looks like she had mostly fairly smallish roles until 2011 which is her last credit i assume that's when she turned 30 and just crumpled into dust as far as hollywood is concerned looks like her biggest role yeah. was the recurring role of harmony kendall on buffy the vampire slayer Ooh. oh my god i didn't even realize that that was the same person oh <laughs> no harmony oh yeah damn harmony was huge harmony was like really well for like the 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 section of the show she was in she was fantastic <laughs> I had no idea. This is the same. This was, um, I mean, I guess, I mean, she grew up kind of between the Adams family and that. So she looked different and she was, she had, she had like, um, like vampire yeah. face for a lot of the time. Well, I guess, yeah, she, uh, I guess they liked her enough that they were like, come back for, you know, Adam's family values. I mean, you know, it's a small role, but she does. I mean, she really does capture that, that, you know, the snottiness you want from, uh, from that character. Yeah, one well. one thing that's so much fun about these movies is everybody is just 100% extra and completely enjoying themselves. And you see that in the in the sequel we have Yeah. She comes back as kind of this just sort of overprivileged like peppy mean girl and we have the two camp counselors who are just completely over the top kind of character type. Um the, the kind of the kind of people that like are the hosts of like Christian VHS tapes. Yeah, exactly. The the uh, the, the male counselor kind of looks like the guy from the cover of uh, Escape from Camp Jelly Jam. <laughs> it's it makes sense because if you want someone to go up against yeah. the Adamses, you know that you and you and you want you see them and you want the Adams to take them down a peg. You need to have a character who's, you know, really kind of overly peppy and snotty. That's the guy from Ghostbusters 2. I, oh, I which forget his that? name, the uh the guy from the Upper West Side who was the uh who was working with uh, Dana at the museum. The one who got enslaved. Oh. Yeah, I don't remember his name, but I know the yeah. I know the guy now. Yes. Uh oh, I hate that guy <laughs> so much. Oh, I hope he gets his. <laughs> Oh man, if I ever see him. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but yeah, no, there's there's a lot of really like uh, over the top, like you know, peppy uh, people that like it's you it's it's enjoyable to see the Adams is like I don't atomize them, I guess, or whatever you <laughs> call it. Atomize them? I, I would I would I say mean, so. Yes. I thought this this the movie the second movie does a good um it does a good job of making them like unpleasant people kind of underneath it like they're. They're they're fairly racist, um, not so much in an overt way, but they they have a very racist Thanksgiving play, and where they they put the rich white kids in the good roles, and uh, they have this part where they're going through everyone else, and they're like uh, stumbling over names like Cons- Consuela and Jamal. Jamal is not a hard name. God. Well, no, I think you're right. They, they, they do have to give them like a, an undercurrent of unpleasantness so that when you do see them get theirs, you don't, you, you don't feel bad. And that's probably why in this movie, you know, even though Margaret is exactly that kind of character, like she's this extreme normie that like is kind of annoying, kind of just, just, you know, aggressively normie. She doesn't have that unpleasantness. So she doesn't get like, she doesn't get like, put through the ringer by the atoms at all she kind of other than getting her fingers trapped momentarily but um 
they they help her out uh, getting out of those. Very just kind of on her, honestly, for sticking her fingers in there. They do. They do. Yeah. Every yeah, time. Every yeah. time she asks for help, they let her out right away. Now the kind of people. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel the like... kind of people that the Adams family end up kicking the asses of can kind of universally be summed up as what everyone thinks of as a morning person. Oh, I hate morning people. Yeah, that's right. So the the villain yeah. of the 2019 movie is a kind of a like like a house flipper who is who is or or sort of like a lifestyle guru, I guess you would say it. Who who is building this this i this idyllic perfect suburb and then when she drains the nearby swamps she realizes that 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 gets rid of the fog and gives her a view of the adams manor in the background ah and uh that actually kind of combined a few things because although she was the villain it ended up with her sort of befriending the family hmm so yeah with if there's a moral to the adams it's that uh you know, normal people suck, but you're only one if you choose to be. Yeah, there's definitely like like certain like uh, a kind of normal person who's a villain and a kind of normal person who's just kind of like aggravated. Like I know the old cartoon series, there was like a, a neighbor who was like, oh, I'm going to get those Adams, you know, very, very <laughs> Paul Lind. And the Adams were just always like Saturday. kind of like obliviously friendly to him, to him. They're like, oh, we love our normie neighbor. We want to like, we want to give him like octopus pies and things that we consider good. But like, he's like, oh, I hate this. But, you know, it never escalates to a point where, you know, he needs to get his. It's always just this, um, I don't know, this this relationship where they're being overly friendly in a way that he he can't appreciate. Yeah, their problem, other people's problem with the Adams family is generally just existing in public. You know what the problem is? They speak different love languages. That's that's a good way of putting it. Yes. Yeah, like they just can't. They, they just can't communicate. The Adams can't communicate like friendship in a way that normal people can understand. So it's it's really just a failure of communication. But uh, but anyway, the Adams is they're they're stuck in the real world at this point, and um, I guess like uh, what is it? Uh, Borticia gets a job as a um, yeah, that was teacher, a quick seems. teaching credential. I mean, the times were different <laughs> back then. You know, this was in the this was in the days like credit scores had only been around for a couple of years. It was you know, it was a whole different <laughs> grid. Um, but um, you know, so you could just uh, and then I think what thing is a courier, and he's really good at it too. Yeah. A great little scene. Oh yeah. yeah, I think I, I, was this was this um, also product I, placement. I feel like um, we there's a lot of FedEx logos there. Yeah, yeah, we we very clearly saw the logo and it's like, look how efficient FedEx is. I was impressed that Thing was able to throw all those packages with no leverage. Yeah, Thing he kind of has a sort of ghostly arm that moves him around. He's he's kind of like you know how Homestar can pick stuff up without having any visible arms. Yeah, he's, he's um. Yeah, he yeah, can he can kind yeah. of jump up and hover in the air as if he was an arm. We see him uh I think trying to trying to uh thumb a ride at one point in this movie. Yeah. In the second one we see him in yes. cartoon yeah. hang time. Yeah, he's also he's in the second one we see him that he is able to uh arm wrestle with Gomez. <laughs> oh wow. Hmm. Um but he's still just a hand though. He's not longer in the No, movie. no, he's he's just yeah, he's still a hand. Through an office like throwing stuff, it's uh you know, obviously they just sped it up a bit, but it's a really good effect. They really show off. Um, this is where they really show off the uh, the green screen effect, or however they they do that. I assume it was green screen. Yeah. And then CGIing the little the the the, the flat part of his things arm yeah. hand. You know where the wrist yeah. is the stump. That's just a fake stump that's sticking that's uh, attached over the uh, actual arm. So the real hand is somewhere in the middle of the wrist. Maybe I didn't explain that very well, but all right, yeah, it's hard to picture um, from what you said, but yeah, and I'm just saying that if you hold your arm out like like you're doing a like you're doing a swan shadow puppet, the stump would be sticking out mm-hmm. uh, over over your wrist toward your face. You know, it would be forming a oh yeah, yeah forming no, a I... sort of 
forming a T with your hand and the stump and the arm. I gotcha. Okay. Boy, yeah, how do you describe yeah. a spiral staircase without using your so hands? You're, so you're saying that, that things, um, that the wrist you see in the movie is a fake wrist on a real hand. Yes, yeah. And okay, they, I, the I, green I, I screen was used to erase now. the rest of the arm, the real arm. <laughs> I love seeing the green screen. I love it. Um, it's actually kind of, honestly, I, I kind of do. I mean, this, this, there's something kind of, uh, something kind of quaint. It's very nostalgic. Um, it's like, it's like seeing people walking into a map painting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We actually get a few map paintings in this yeah. film, don't we? Like, I think, uh... The house itself, maybe? I think there's... Yeah, and I feel like when they're they're paddling across oh, the, yeah. uh, the lake, yeah. we get some map paintings. Yeah, the... But yeah, it's the grounds of the Adams Mansion is absolutely huge. There's got to be acres to paddle through underneath it. I think the um, I think the vault itself was some some kind of um, visual trickery. Mm-hmm. It looked like it looked like it was like mirrored because yeah, you have these kind of three hallways. Oh wow! Yeah, she she makes this kind of silent de- decision to uh, try to talk things out with Fester, which is. Bad because both T- Tully and Abigail are also there, and they don't feel like talking. They're going to torture her for it. Yeah, but it's Morticia, so I mean, this is this is good. Yeah, she, you know, yeah, Tully is turning turning the rack to tighten her on it, and she's going, "Oh, oh, well, you've done this before." <laughs> yeah, he's, he. It seems like he has <laughs> done something like it before, since he he he's uncomfortable with torture, but it doesn't seem like it's the first time he's done it. He just doesn't like doing it. Yeah, he specifically says, but I got this stomach thing when I torture people. So it's come up before. He's a very, he's a very Saul Goodman kind of lawyer in that <laughs> his associ- he's got a lot of associates that are, but are much more dangerous people than he is. Yeah, actually, that's, that's a good point. I guess that's kind of the, the reality of being a sleazy lawyer. It's like you are the, you are the least dangerous person that you know. <laughs> you know? But luckily, uh, it was... Thing followed her, wondering what she was doing, and seeing that Morticia is in danger, he, you know, he tries to hitch a ride on the back of a car's bumper to get home quickly. And that's when we have his great scene where he tries to explain to uh, Gomez what happened. First, using sign language, which he's failing at because he's stuttering. Then he gets a pen that doesn't work, and finally he has to tap it out in Morse code on a bowl of, I think, tricks. He just he just More he just uh, sort of upturns it to get the spoon. Yeah. So so yeah, Gomez would understand yeah. him, you know, both through sign language or through Morse code. So yeah, polyglots they understand just about any any language you throw at them. Well, I mean, you know, it's a uh, they they have plenty of time to uh, to dedicate themselves to to bettering their their minds because I mean it's not like Gomez has to waste his time nope. at a job, you know, he. I mean, even Morticia even mentions, like, yeah, he's he's um, you know, not employed. He, he's uh, what what does she call well, him? The, I think she says, yeah, he's, the, um, uh, what do you the what do you call that person? The job placement officer says, well, what is he a shiftless layabout? And she's like, not like he used to be. But see, even it's like, oh, but even the Adams see like to them things that that are considered bad in society are good. So she likes it that he's a more layabout. time for her. The Adams is a cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's cool. I like them. But um but yeah, so Gomez is coming to the manor to save Morticia. Yeah, and this there's an important line here from Morticia because, you know, Fester has been Fester slash Gordon has been dragging his feet on this the whole time and she asks, well, and she asks him, "Who are you really? Are you the are you the monster who forced his way into our house on the, under false pretenses or the monster that we love?" And he says, "Don't ask me." So he's having real doubt about his role in this family or in his mother's family. Yeah, I think it's not, and not until his mother um, kind of loses it on him and tears him down that he de- really makes his decision that he's going to turn on her and he's going to uh, join the Adams. Yes, which he does by grabbing. Well, first, first we have uh, first we have the uh, Gomez rushing to the rescue and uh, fighting Tully to a standstill to getting his, getting him uh, at his mercy with swords. But then Abigail just pulls a gun and says, uh, says, show me where the vault is or I'll, or I'll shoot Morticia. 
But that is Fester's opportunity to say, wait, no tricks, Gomez. That's the wrong book. Because now he knows that he sees that he actually is reaching for the greed book. But instead, Fester grabs the book titled Hurricane Irene, Nightmare in the Tropics. They're trying to talk him down from it, but Abigail loses her temper and says, uh, stop whining. And he finally barks, you were a terrible mother, and throws the book open. And the whole house is filled with a hurricane that eventually knocks Abigail and Tully out the window, freshly dug graves that the children have prepared. Yeah, I'm not sure how Wednesday and Pugsley knew exactly where to put them, but I guess they have really good instincts. <laughs> you know, the grave just called to us, you know? Yeah, they even, they even already have headstones set up with, uh, with the correct names on them. Well, actually, not the correct name, because they, they have... Um, they put Dr. Pendersloss yeah. because that was the... They really never learned that she wasn't Dr. Pendersloss. Yeah, who she really was was not relevant to them. Well, I guess, yeah. I guess Wednesday but, knew that uh, she, was, are, uh... she was faking because she overheard them, but she didn't actually hear a, hear a real name, so... But uh, this is where Pugsley is all, are they dead? And Wednesday's like, does it matter? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I mean, they will be, <laughs> so... Um, I mean, this is probably the only time we actually get to see the Adams possibly actually murder someone, so. <laughs> and that's when it cuts to seven but, months know. later. But like I said, we should have had a little more follow-up to the fact that after he threw up, threw out, threw the book open, Fester got really banged in the head with a bolt of lightning, and all we see of him after that is kind of regaining consciousness and a slow smile spreading across his face. One, gigawatts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess I've got a question: Is what, what uh, do we think of the twist that it's actually Fester and not an imposter? I mean, it's all leading up to the idea that it's an imposter. The idea that you know, what they really wanted was to have it be a story about how even if you're not a member of the Adams family, they'll welcome you because you're one of them, whether you realize it or not. They want. They wanted to do do it as a found family story, but I think Christina Ricci and the rest of the cast were right when they were like, you know, you know, Gomez isn't going to take a substitute brother. That's just not how found family works. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it, I think it works a lot better in the in the case of um, was it Margaret um, Tully's uh, former yes. Tully's widow, I guess. Yeah, um, <laughs> who kind of joins? Yeah, it would. It would I I can kind of understand what they're going for, but it'd be a very strange. It would also just sort of raise the question of where the real Fester is. So does it indicate that the real Fester is in fact dead? I mean, that would seem to be the implication if uh, they didn't put in that twist. Unless in the sequel, they would have been like, oh, and now the real Fester's here. Now we got dueling Well, Festers, that would be a movie which I'd like to see too. So. I mean, yeah, I can definitely see some possibilities with that. Uh, you know, on the other hand, what if he had been free to, if he had been free to determine his own identity, you know, part this, their, the kid's adopted uncle and uh, part Gordon, the, uh, the roughneck who worked for a, who worked for a uh, loan shark who had convinced him he was her son. You know, that would that would have been an interesting addition to the family, especially if next time we got to see him interact with Christopher Lloyd also as Fester. Oh, wait, here, here. What you could have is what if what if so Gordon is, a, is an imposter, yeah. right? So in the sequel, um, what it turns out is at the very end of the sequel, uh, the original returns, but Fester has transitioned. And is now dementia. Oh, okay. I can see that happening too. Yeah, it could be. I, I don't, I don't. So I don't hate the thing with Fester being, um, with Fester being the real Fester. I think they did it in a really inelegant way, and I guess it just shows that it was an afterthought. That it's just kind of, mm-hmm. it feels like it's just kind of s- stuck in there. It's right up there with electrocuting Audrey too. Yeah, it is. It is not. Um, it's not foreshadowed in any way. Um, which I feel like it, it should have been somehow. There should have been a little bit of a, a hint early on, maybe with, uh, you know, Dr. Pinderschloss actually t- saying to Gordon about how she had discovered him in a tuna net. Because when she says it just to the Adams family, we assume that's a lie. But if she said it when they weren't around, it would have 
for it would have given a little hint so that later on it wouldn't feel so out of out I of listened nowhere. very closely to her conversations with Gordon. She never really talks about that kind of thing. Her focus is always on the money. So, you know, she's yeah, I mean, not. Even, and she uh, talks at one point about uh, something about giving birth to him or being responsible for his existence, which you'd think that if he had uh, was adopted at age 30 or so, he would know that's not true. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fact that he says, like, oh, you are a terrible mother, it's like, I feel like that implies, like, knowledge of a relationship before the age of yeah, 30. Yeah, so you in know? the movie we're told that Fester was born in 1947. And so, yeah, this was 25 years ago. So that would be... <laughs> so if he was... If he was lost in 1968, then yeah, he's yeah he's about 30. He's 31, or no, he's he's like he's 21, isn't he? Well, no, 20, 21. Yeah, so okay, so so maybe maybe not at 30, but still. So we yeah, but he was an adult. We know that yes. we know that he um we, well we saw him as at least a young adult with Gomez in those videos. Yeah. Also, so he, was, he was not a child. Yeah. Also, I want to say that that memorial statue of him that Tully apparently recognized Gordon from didn't look like Fester at all. Oh yeah, the, the candle. What was that? I thought that was a whole other person. A lot of the memorial statues they have are very oh, that's abstract. True. Yeah, I kind of like was... how how weird that was. How just how strange that they looked. I noticed. You remember, Mike, the Adams family. Super Nintendo game that we uh, that we watched for the show. Oh, Adams! Uh, yeah, Festival oh, versus no, the, the Aliens. No, the other the one, the one that's uh, that's Gomez romping through the house like Mario. Oh I yeah, yeah, yeah. That a lot of the bosses that you fight in that game are actually based on the gravestones from the movie. Oh, which is really weird. Well, I mean, I guess uh, this this yeah. movie was huge. Well, so. they, I mean, I'm I'm sure they were given a bunch of text descriptions and had to make up their own stuff. Like, you know, the end boss of that game is a judge, but it's not this judge. It's mm-hmm. it's this giant judge, like the like the like the butt from Pink Floyd, and it and it stomps around, raining gavels down on you. It's not very accurate to the movie. <laughs> no, yeah, it reads like they kind oh, of got well, a. Yeah. Um, like they kind of got a description of the movie, but didn't watch it, which which is probably true. They were probably working on this way before the, same the time, movie was yeah. finished. Well, I guess the, the question is: so how how do we feel about the Adams family as an adaptation of the Adams into uh, film form? It's the finest one that I I've seen. I would say. Yeah, I would say this is um, of the various incarnations of um, uh, you know or adaptations of the original cartoons. I think. This movie and its uh, sequel are the cream of the crop. They're just really high quality. I mean, it feels like they they most get the spirit of the original cartoon. Yeah, um, the the the, uh, the sitcom was it was it was very sitcommy. Um, it didn't have that. This this has a little more of an edge to it. That the sitcom just was, yeah. I guess, because of the time, it simply wasn't allowed to have. It probably just the mere fact of like uh, you know, there's a. Oh, a woman cutting the head off of roses was probably like blowing people's minds back then. <laughs> yeah, the sitcom was mostly just like a person comes over and, you know, Morticia is like, oh, would you like, um, you know, uh, an hors d'oeuvre? And they look in the hors d'oeuvre and it's like an eyeball and people are, whoa, whoa, you know, but they don't actually try to kill anyone. I, I, think. I think it's interesting to notice that this is just two years after Tim Burton's Batman. So, and for a long time after that, it was kind of established that when a show becomes a t- becomes a movie, it becomes a lot darker and grimmer. And of course, a lot of people might not have even thought that the Batman movie was based on the comics at all. They only knew the TV show. So that was so. You know, even though both of these movies are harking back to the comics that inspired them. It's it came across as a whole new thing in the late '80s, early '90s, just to return to the original. Yeah, I and mean, when this came out, I I don't know. This this feels like one of those movies that I don't think it was was it marketed as a kids movie. Mm. I mean, I feel like having MC Hammer on the soundtrack did, but he wasn't necessarily a kids performer. 
there was a, there was a lot of uh, movies around this time that were kind of technically adult movies, but they had a huge kid audience. And like that's, Rambo. That's, well, yeah, that's yeah. But, like things like Beetlejuice, where you got a cartoon based on it. Yeah. Or uh, Ghostbusters, a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, somebody Adam's family said, got a new cartoon out of this. Yeah, there there was an Adam's. That was a few yeah. There was later, an Adam's though, cartoon. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, somebody said, I can't remember if it was one of you that made this point on an earlier show or if I heard it somewhere else, but someone said that's because of all the um, edited network versions that would get played. Oh, that made, that made these that. movies accessible mm. to kids who probably weren't allowed to watch the original version. Although this this one, um, I'm not sure what it's rated, uh, but it's pretty, it's, it's fairly tame beyond, beyond a little bit of... It's PG-13. Yeah. Well, no, you're right. Yeah, because I remember watching, you know, Ghostbusters on TV, and they they cut out the the ghost blowjob <laughs> and stuff like that, you know. Um, and I'm I'm sure that like that was, yeah. But but also when you're a little kid, if you don't actually see someone die on screen, it's very easy to think that didn't happen. Because mm. I watched Gremlins all the time as a kid, and I never figured out that like a million people die <laughs> in it because you never see it happen. It's always off screen, and I feel like maybe kids watching it. Most kids would see the Adams dumping boiling oil on carolers, and they're like, well, I didn't see it actually happen, so I have no object permanent. So clearly, the, the oil stops to exist once it's not in my visual uh, range anymore. Um, I don't know. like, um, But uh, it, it definitely was a thing back then where like, there are a lot of uh, adult movies that kids just kind of uh, glom onto. Beetlejuice being one. Like, the cartoon versions are like always way different. Uh, Beetle just became a good guy in his cartoon. Yeah. Yes, he, right. he was a lot less rapacious. I remember the Teen Wolf cartoon as yeah. well, which always seemed I wanted very to talk odd. to Buzz Dixon about it, but he had no memory of making it. I think I think with Beetlejuice, it's just that he's kind of like the protag- almost the semi protagonist, or at least uh, at least a very important antagonist. And you kind of you kind of want to like him, so they made him a lot more pleasant. Um, which I mean, you kind of get that in the yeah. Broadway show too, and that he, that kind of mixes them because he starts out as an antagonist, but it kind of ends with him being redeemed in the end. Hmm. What about the Adams Family Broadway show? Have you ever well, seen anything about that? You know, what? I haven't seen it. I didn't even know there was one. Yeah, it had uh, it had Nathan Lane as uh, Gomez. Uh, I'll have to look that up. That's that's not one that I'm uh, that I have any familiarity with. But I also didn't know there was a Beatles Broadway <laughs> show. Um, there is. It's really good. I mean, it was it was in the middle of running before it got shut down by COVID. So, huh? Okay. The songs are. Um, I, I think the songs are really good. I recommend of... checking them out. A lot of a lot of them have uh, homemade animatics people have done on YouTube as well. <laughs> oh wow! Is it like um? Is it Oingo Boingo esque or is it like its own um, thing? It's its own thing. I'd say. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I could uh, picture Oingo Boingo esque. <laughs> oh, I know. I, the only one I know is Weird Science. Oh, well, I guess what I should say is, it, it, does it recall the the music of the original Beetlejuice film? Music, or yeah. is it kind of... Oh, that's Danny Elfman. Oh, actually, yeah. he's in Oingo Boingo, isn't he? Okay, no wonder I thought there were... Okay, I was always... Yeah, you know what? Beetlejuice sounds a lot like Oingo Boingo. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense now. I'm sorry. I also... I was like, ah, you know, that snail looks a lot <laughs> like that bat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. But it sounds like the Beatles. Oh, go on, go on, Beatles. I was going to say the Beetlejuice music is sound is different than that, though. It's its yeah, own it's, thing. it's its own thing. It's had its. Um, I mean, I would put it in like the conventional Broadway musical slot, with and with a caveat that I really don't okay. know anything about music, so <laughs> I can't really I can't really describe it other than yeah, it sounded it sounded like you know a musical to me. There were like ballads and stuff. Yeah, we're the kind of people who watch Broadway musicals oh, okay. for the plot, so. Does uh does it follow the plot of the original Beetlejuice? Kind of. I mean, it's closer. It's thing, closer so. to the movie than the cartoon. It has um. I mean, it has the Maitlands in it. It kind of it updates them. They're oh, okay. they're a very huh. modern kind of. Um, I feel like they they've kind of updated them so that they were kind of ye- a little bit yuppie-ish in the original one, mm. and they've kind of mm. become this. Uh, they're they're very they're very millennial in the new one. More yuppie-ish than the Dietzes? Ah. Uh. No, I'm, that's not the right term for it. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm using the wrong terminology. But uh, um, they so 
but yeah, speaking of the Dietzes, but uh, Delia is a is a like a life coach that Charles got for his daughter to try to help her get over her mother's death, which is uh, it actually mentions her mother, which is something that I, I somebody who is not mentioned at all, I think, in the movie. No. Or in the the cartoon just yeah, kind of so. uh, elides right over her and uh, assumes Delia is her mother. Uh, except for some of the, yeah, I, I saw yeah, some comics right. oh. and like uh, supplementary things that were based on the cartoon, but but like referred to her as her stepmother. So yeah. somebody didn't get all the information straight. But uh, it's got, uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think how it's, um, it, I mean, it kind of ends in a very different. Yeah. Area, One but important it's... thing is that it tells you that uh, not only is Juno Beetlejuice's former boss, she's also his mom. Yeah, also there's... Um, oh, so which also ties there's, there's, like a, family. there's a reason for Beetlejuice to be um, marrying Lydia besides just him being gross, like which I think is the whole reason in the movie. Uh, he's, I think, I think he gets, he gets to be human or something if he does. I can't remember the exact details. Oh, but it, it does have a long sequence where Beetlejuice oh. and Lydia are essentially just hanging out as friends, which is kind of a it's kind of it's kind of a low point for her because she's after she she gave up on getting along with the rest of her family and she's just living in this this house with a ghost um, terrorizing anybody who comes by. Oh, so he marries Lydia. He gets to be human. Now. I think so. I think it's it's it works on like. Um, it, it, it feels very contrived. It's like one of those, it's like that Noids can't have sex with doodles rule. <laughs> but he says yeah. that in the movie, though, doesn't he? He says that... Uh, Sorry, I, I, I may have cut out now because I um, I didn't move the mouse for long enough. Uh-oh. Sorry, did, did that come through? No, we heard you, yeah. I heard you, yeah. yeah. But no, he says that in the movie. Yeah, um, he says that, uh, you know, if I want to get get off of this side, I've got to get married. Oh, huh. Well, I guess, I guess oh, it's not oh, established as much. Yeah. It's funny that was my wife was uh, obsessed with Beetlejuice when she was a kid, uh, but the cartoon. Uh, I think when she finally saw the movie, that's absolutely the same way I was. I was I was very um, the movie was like the this weird alternate version of it where they weren't friends. <laughs> yeah, I, I, to me the cartoon was the real characters. Also, I, I had such a crush yeah. on Lydia when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's like that's just fair. a super uh, cool goth girl who was also really friendly. It's funny because yeah, my wife had a, I think had a huge crush on Beetlejuice, and uh, except when she she never she saw the movie many years later and was like, oh, <laughs> eh, eh, not as good. Um, so why isn't Beetlejuice making puns constantly? <laughs> he should be making puns. Well, is that why she likes me so much? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. You're the host with the most. <laughs> and the I'm America's favorite funster. That's right. Uh, oh, anyway, is there anything else we should say about uh, Beetlejuice? We forgot Beetlejuice. what we were talking about. Oh, yeah, we should probably, okay. yeah, we should, um, we should probably wrap up the Adams Family episode without 20, 20 minutes of Beetlejuice discussion. <laughs> oh, why not? It's not. It's, it's this would be so unusual for us to derail. <laughs> Um, well, we do um, at, yeah, the, at the very end. Um, we find out that Tisha is going to have a baby, which because she holds holds up a uh, something she's knitting a, a a onesie with three legs, which is again a comic like, right out of uh, yeah. another another image straight out of the comics. Yeah. And we also kind of um, that kind of leads into the uh, the sequel movie where they end up having a uh, they having an, uh, a new baby. Yes, the baby pubert. Oh, that's right, pubert. Hubert is actually one of the names that uh, Charles Adams floated for Pugsley when they were in pre-production. So I'm glad they got to use it. I guess I guess it's probably good we didn't do both movies because we went like two hours yeah. on the first one. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to uh, cut this one up, but that means that we can keep keep talking because I have something to say about the Adams family. You know what else? You know what else came out the same year as this in 1991? As something that we've already done on this show. A wish for wings that? that work. Oh, and I would, yeah, I remember and that. I would say that this movie is right up there in a wish for wings that work. In that, a lot of people who watch it probably didn't realize, you know, how queer coded it was at the time. That's a good point. Actually. I mean, it's literally um, if you see, that... you know, if you see uh, Gordon becoming Fester as a sort of, you know, coming out even. You even sort of see his egg crack in a way, you know? Mm, yeah, no, you're you're right, actually. 
this it was this this um this this film mm-hmm. got layers. I don't know how intentional it was, but Hollywood being what it what it is, everything is intentional. So I'm sure a lot of the people behind the scenes knew what they were doing and how to couch it so that all the normies wouldn't pick up on it. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that that's a re- it lends itself really well to that reading. And you know that's that is kind of one of the things that you lose with the alternate the the ending that they used with uh, Gordon actually being Fester and not Gordon because if it was you know a, you know f- found family stuff is kind of the cornerstone of, of queer storytelling in a lot of ways, but you know this is yeah, sort of a refound yeah. family in that in that respect. But yeah, the atoms, um, yeah. the atoms are. I mean, they're all they're all sort of uh, you know related to each other. But but there's a very big uh, there's a there's a very large uh, like contingent of people who become atoms. Yep, you don't you don't have to be born in atoms. You can marry into it, or maybe you'll just fit right in. You know, and this is yeah, just, just find a dark corner to squat in, <laughs> and soon you'll be part of the family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, all you would have to do is, you know, you just walk in one day and say, uh, you know, hi, I'm cousin Normie. And they're like, oh, Normie from the from the uh, Manchester branch of the Adams. Welcome. Grab a plate. You probably don't even you don't have to go through all of this, you know, nonsense with uh, with scamming them, you know, because they like they like people who treat them normally too much to ever <laughs> to ever kick them out. So, you know, half of, you know, spend Spend a week there and they'll uh, build you a bed and forget you ever didn't live there. (laughs) 